Thank you, Rabbi Kessman, for that introduction. And um, the OK is the second largest kosher agency, but we like to say we're the best. <laughs> but anyway, uh, having put that aside, um, just would like to begin with a, um, a brief introduction to the halachis of my Yakum, foods cooked by a non-Jew, prepared by a non-Jew. Um, and we'll give a, a bit of a, an overview, kind of an umbrella picture of, of what these halachis entail and the, the structure of the halachis. And I'm gonna dive into the details of them. And after that, I would like to actually show to the audience how we actually apply these halachis in modern day manufacturing applications. To start with, the, these halachis are rabbinic in nature. The chachamim, the rabbis established the halachis of Maichalei Akma, foods cooked by a non-Jew, uh, for two primary reasons. Uh, the most fundamental reason is a gather uh, a, chasmus, a, a, a parameter and a, a safeguard against intermarriage. The idea being that uh, if, if non-Jews would cook or bake our foods uh, indiscriminately without any Jews' involvement, it would lead to a certain level of closeness that will eventually lead to intermarriage of our, our children, our daughters marrying their sons, or their sons marrying our, our, our daughters, et cetera, our sons marrying their daughters, et cetera. So it's a gather chasnus. There's a secondary reason brought down in halacha, and it's shama yachilin that if the non-Jew is going to prepare our foods from beginning to end, they might mix in some non-kosher food into the mix. So these two reasons as to why the Chacham established the laws of Amir La'akum, uh, excuse me, of, of, of Michal Yakum, uh, foods prepared by a non-Jew are uh, also the fundamental basis for another set of halachis, which I'm going to explain. There's a discussion as to whether or not one is allowed to have a non-religious Jew turn on fires for you, for, for Pas Yisrael or Bishri Yisrael, or does it have to be specifically a religious Jew? According to the first reason why the rabbis established the laws of Michal Yakum, which is a, a safeguard against intermarriage, then there's no problem with a non-religious Jew who's Jewish from turning on any fires for Pasi Yisrael and Bishri Yisrael because they're Jewish, and the Jews are allowed to marry a Jew. According to the secondary reason, where the, there's a concern maybe they'll put in some non-kosher food into the mix, if they themselves do not keep the laws of Kashrus, therefore they don't, they're not entrusted with the laws of Kashrus. There may be a concern that they may mix in something that's forbidden, and therefore there's reason to insist specifically on having a religious Jew turn on the fire. In practice, it is certainly better to have a religious Jew turn on the fire, but in case of need, if a person's in a situation where it's a sticky situation, for example, if one is religious and one's parents are not, um, but they're Jewish, I wouldn't make a big fuss about it because you don't wanna create a situation where it would be insulting for one's parents. But from a practical point of view, when we actually certify products at the OK, as a policy, we only allow a religious student to turn on fires for Pasis on Bishri Yisrael. I just want to add parenthetically, some agencies are lenient about that and will allow a non-religious student to turn on fires for Pasis Yisrael or Bishri Yisrael. And, and uh, th this is where you get into standards and policies. But even those agencies that are religious, that, that are lenient and will allow a non-religious student to turn on the fire, there has to be some system in place to ensure that the non-religious Jew is the one who actually turned on the fire. It's a, if it's a place, an establishment that has both Jews and non-Jews alike, and there are no religious Jews present, then the non-religious Jew does not really have what's called Na'amonis. They're not really entrusted to believe in that they did it. So if you have a camera system to verify or something like that, or you can, you can FaceTime with them, that may, that may be workable, but that has to be taken into account. 
in general, when it comes to food, as we know, um, every Jewish holiday, the joke goes that every Jewish holiday is connected to food, right? Uh, the guy tried to kill us and we survived, let's eat. Uh, but but in, in, in spiritually speaking, obviously, every food, food has a very, very strong and a spiritual component to it. And the foods that we eat connected with our holidays, with our Yom Tevim, have a very strong connection to that Yom Tev. So bringing people together is, uh, is, a, is a time when you specifically connect with food. When people sit down, whether it's to a Kiddush, after davening, or, or a Fabrengen, it's, a, it's an opportunity where people can really bond with each other and connect with each other. So the Chachamim, in their infinite wisdom, they saw that since food has the power of bringing people together, we need to harness this power and ensure that it's being used properly. When it comes to Pas Yisrael, which is today's subject, um, this is an Isid Rabban, it's a rabbinic prohibition to have paspalta bread baked by a non-Jewish baker. Um, the Chacham and the rabbis only said we're not allowed to actually consume it, but there's no Isra Hana, there's no Isra of doing business with non-Pas Yisrael bread or the like. So when it comes to rabbinic prohibition, we have to define what parameters exactly the Chachamim set for in terms of what they, they asked, what they forbid, and what they didn't forbid. And uh, the, way, the way Halacha defines Pas is something that's made from the five grains, which are wheat, oat, spelt rye and barley, that are turned into a flour substance that are subsequently turned into a dough substance. So for example, any cookies that you're gonna bake, cakes you'll bake, or rolls or breads or subs, whatever you wanna call them, bagels, all those would be in the bread category. And the same would be for matzah as well. So those are chameshes dug on the five, five grains, and if those are baked, they're considered chashuv, and those would fall into the category of pas. In, in contrast to something, let's say, for example, like a rice bread, if you have a bread that's made entirely of rice, that would not be made from the five grains, and that would not be in the, in the category of pas. An example, another modern day example would be, let's say, a rice cake. If it's purely made out of puffed rice, it's not a question of pas yisrael because it's not in the category of pas. Whether or not it's an issue of Bishli Yisrael will cover God willing in the, in the, in the coming weeks when we get to that topic. Now, the Gemara explains further that with regards to the prohibition of past Akron, bread baked by a non-Jew, it was not something that was accepted unanimously, unanimously amongst all Jewish communities alike at the time of the enactment. Therefore, it did not take on the full strength of law. Therefore, if it's at a place where one cannot get past Yisrael, available, readily available, that is, um, then one's allowed to have non-Pas Yisrael products. And the reason why halachically one is lenient is because bread is called chayim nefesh. Bread is a staple food that people need to survive. And it's a very fascinating insight here that we see that the same reason that's brought down in Nigla, which means the revealed halachic part of Torah, for a reason to be lenient because the bread is a staple food and we have to make sure that people have a basic sustenance to be able to survive. That same reason is brought down in Kabbalah as a reason to be stringent and only to consume Pas Yisrael products. Because because it's Chayin Nefesh, because it's our, our main sustenance, we want to make sure it's coming from a spiritually pure place. It's spiritually very refined. And, and that can only be done when it's Pas Yisrael, when a Jew is the one who actually lit the oven and was involved in the baking process. So according to Kabbalah, it's a reason to be stringent and to specifically have only Pas Yisrael. And in fact, Hasidim 
are makbid, are careful to only consume Pas Yisrael products. I heard from a senior Lubavitcher Rav, Rabbi Yaroslavsky, who's a Rav in Eretz Yisrael, senior Lubavitcher Rav, he was in Yechidus with the Rebbe, probably, I would say, 50 or 60 years ago, I believe is the beginning when he became Rav, and the Rebbe said to him, Chasidim zeir zeir makbid, Pas Yisrael and Chol of Yisrael. Chasidim are very, very careful when it comes to Pas Yisrael and Chol of Yisrael. Okay, so even those Jews that are lean with regards to eating non-Pas Yisrael products, when it comes to Aseris Yimei Tshuva, says in Shulchan Aruch that everyone should be stringent only to consume Pas Yisrael products during that time. But as I said earlier, non-Pas Yisrael products, known as Pas Palter, red baked by a non-Jewish baker, do not make the vessels not kosher. And therefore, to make Pas Yisrael products, for example, if I'm going to make a Pas Yisrael pretzel, if I go to a factory that's already certified kosher par, but not Pas Yisrael, all I need to do is send in a mashkiach and to make sure the lines are clean and to turn on the fire, turn on the oven. And then all the pretzels that are going to be baked from the what's called the Yad Yisrael, the Jewish hand, meaning the Jewish power of that fire that are baked subsequently after that are going to be Pas Yisrael. So it's quite easy to make products Pas Yisrael on a manufacturing level if you're walking into a kosher park factory. When it comes to other things such as Bishri Yisrael, Chal Yisrael, it's a lot more complicated as, as we will explain. How does one actually make a, a product Pas Yisrael? So Shulchan Aruch details a few different methodologies one can use in order to make something Pas Yisrael. The most practical way to make something Pas Yisrael is simply for the Jew to light the oven. By lighting the oven, by turning on the oven, the Jew's integral part and integral contribution, so to speak, is lingering. So as, long, as soon as I turn on the oven, then any baking that's gonna take place thereafter is gonna be with the fire that I turned on. So my effect is everlasting as long as the oven stays on. Another method is if, if you have like a bonfire, a live fire, you can, you can stoke the coals or you can put the bread into the oven. Also putting the bread into the oven would also qualify, but there's a downside to that method because by putting the bread in the oven, you're only ensuring whatever bread you put into the oven is gonna be past Yisrael. If you did not light the fire and the fire stays on and another person who's not Jewish puts on, puts in the bread in the oven, then it's not gonna be past Yisrael. Or if a person who's not religious puts the bread in the oven, it wouldn't be past Yisrael in the most elevated fashion. But because the Chacham and the Rabbis Mulind with regards to pas, so therefore a Jew only has to make what's called a minimal involvement to be able to create pas Yisrael. They don't have to actually bake the whole food from beginning to end. They have to either turn on the oven or even to throw in a twig would be like lighting a pilot or just raising a temperature would also qualify. Um, if the door, the, the oven door was left open, so you have cold air that's now coming into the oven chamber, by closing the oven door, you're now trapping the heat. That's also a form of adding heat and an integral part of the baking process, and therefore that would also qualify as pasta strong as a methodology. Now, when it comes to, we have some modern day questions that arise based on what we just said. What about using other methodologies such as timers? Um, many Rabbonim don't like timers because a timer would be, for example, if I have an oven that's currently not on and I set a timer that's going to make it go on, let's say, in two or three days from now, um, that's, that's going to be uh, in such a way where it's not really obvious that a Jew is the one who turned on the oven. And really, it's just karam. It's just a, it's a situation where I caused the oven to go on, but I did not directly light the oven. 
So it's almost like it's being lit mechanically. Um, I'm not going to really say it's forbidden. Some people do allow it, but I'm just explaining why some Rabbanim don't allow it because it's not a classical form of turning something on. There's another, another point I wanted to mention is that it's a chesar in the hekka. The reason why a Jew has to light the oven is because one of the reasons brought down in, 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 in halacha is because we want to have, whether it should be a hekka, it should be noticeably obvious that the Jew is involved in the baking process. So when you have a timer go on and uh, it's going to turn on, let's say, many, many hours or even sometimes days later, then it's a in the heck, it's taking away from the making it obvious that you did it. Who says a Jew did it? Maybe someone else turned on the timer. It's not obvious that a Jew is the one who's actually lighting the oven in this case. Um, thanks to the advent of technology, we have such a thing called known as telephone dial-up systems and some very large factories. We have um, the ovens are totally controlled by computers and can only be turned on and unlocked through punching in a code. So technically, um, a mashkiach could light an oven even from a remote distance, as long as the oven is locked, it can only be opened up through a certain code that the mashkiach has with their phone, they could dial up and actually light an oven from a distance. That does qualify for Pas Yisrael, but although admittedly it's not as mahudr, it's not as beautiful, so to speak, as a classical form of, of Pas Yisrael, where the mashkiach is, is on-premises actually lighting the, the fire itself. And another point I want to mention, which relates to what I just said, is food that's manufactured in a, manu in a, in a, in a manufacturing setting halakhically is easier than a pasyastral situation in a home setting because in a manufacturing setting, the uh, suppose let's say it would be a manufacturer owned by a non-Jew, there's not really much concern that the non-Jew that's selling this product is going to eventually meet up with the end-use Jewish consumer and they're going to come to become friendly and they might come to intermarry and all that because they're so far away from each other, they don't actually meet. There isn't that human interaction between the two of them. So there's an opinion brought down that makes a manufacturing setting easier for that reason. We don't rely on that opinion alone, but we can, in conjunction with the fact that a Jew is lighting the fire albeit through a telephone dial-up system, um, National Echshem will accept such a methodology. The Hasidic Echshem probably wouldn't use such a methodology. They would want a mashkir to actually go in to actually turn on the fire themselves. And most of the time in practice, most Echshem have a mashkir turning on the fire because practically it's expensive to put up a telephone dial-up system. I'm just mentioning that sometimes it does happen. another discussion which we get into is about how many days it has to be for a Jew's involvement. In Shulchan Aruch, they didn't have, when the Shulchan Aruch was written, they didn't have ovens that could stay on for, for long periods of time. If you have a live fire, you have to constantly add logs or, or coal to the fire to keep it going. You couldn't just turn it on and let it go. So today you have ovens that can, you can turn them on, they could stay on for months at a time. So that creates a whole new dynamic. Um, Shulchan Aruch speaks about Kamayomim, but in, in actuality, all national will allow Pas Yisrael turned on by a, a Jew if the oven stays on. We have a way to secure that the oven is staying on the whole time for Mashkir to come in once a month to, to what's called, to what's known as Mechadish Yad Yisrael, to constantly renew the, the Jews' involvement. Um, that's, that's a general accepted frequency amongst, amongst the national Echshem. Some of the Chassidish Echshem will be more stringent than have Mashkir come in, let's say, once a week. Now, in terms of methodologies of securing 
that the actual fire stays on, I'm gonna discuss that now, how that's actually done. There are different types of ovens out there in the manufacturing world. Some of them are known as tunnel ovens. Tunnel ovens are very, very long as, as the name implies, They're like a tunnel and those um, can keep their heat very, very, uh, very well for a very long time. I've tested some tunnel ovens or some very heavily insulated ovens. Um, I turned, they were on, let's say four or 500 degrees of baking temperature and then we turned them off and I locked all the, all the, cha the chamber entries and they stayed hot for two days. So they stay warm for a very long, long time because they're heavily insulated and the, the, the head space between the openings is very, very narrow so that the air does not really cool off very quickly at all. So a tunnel oven, um, one of the things we can do is you can put in what's called a heating element or known as a glow bar into these ovens and that will keep um, some burning fire on all the time. Another, some, some of these ovens have burning pilots that stay on and as long as they're locked and they're not gonna be turned off, uh, there's a way to lock the gas line or something that would also qualify. And um, the mashkich would check these things periodically. In such a situation, it's a lot easier because a tunnel oven, even if someone mistakenly did turn it off, it's gonna stay warm for some time. So it's really not likely gonna cool down. You're not gonna have a problem. Um, when it comes to other types of ovens, which are known as walk-in ovens, which are more the classical convection type ovens that are used, where you take a whole rack of product and you wheel it into the oven, that's an open chamber and, and it's often, it's forced air type of heat. And there, once you turn off the oven, the oven chamber will cool down within about probably 10 to 15 minutes very quickly because it's a large opening and it's forced air. Once you stop having the forced air blowing, you just have ambient temperature coming in, it's gonna cool down very quickly. So there you'd have to put in a, a heating element into the baking chamber that's gonna stay on and locked to be able to do pasisrol in such a type of oven. Um, also, I wanna mention that when it comes to these type of elements, it's important to have an element that's gonna be long lasting. Some of these glow plugs, if they're not long lasting, could burn out after six months. Then you have a mechanical issue and you also have a timing issue. So we have worked with certain mechanics that can that develop some very long lasting glow plugs that can last for like five years. So therefore the maintenance of the, of the kashras of the pasiestrol is something that's much more stable in such a fashion. When it comes to, to light bulbs, um, as, as the question whether or not those could be used for pasiestrol, there is one heksha that does allow that as a method for making pasiestrol, even though it's not a commonly used method because light bulbs are not an efficient way to actually bake. It's probably the least efficient from a, uh, an energy usage perspective, um, but they do allow nonetheless, if you have an oven with, with a light bulb that's, again, again hot wire that's not gonna be able to be turned off, it's sealed, they'll allow that as pasisrol. All other national shame, to the best of my knowledge, would not allow such a method, including the, okay, we don't allow it because a light bulb is designed to give off light. And the heat that it gives off is incidental to its primary purpose, it's called a light bulb. There are some heating lamps that give off heat also, but they also give off a lot of light. So the whole idea of a Jew's involvement is to be able to create a situation where it's very obvious that the Jew is involved in the baking process. Once you dilute that effect by having something that's there to give off light, it's something that would disqualify it according to many Yachshedim. We also often put in what's known as like an indicator light to make sure that these elements are working and Mashkichim uh, would check these things regularly and we make sure that they give off a minimum amount of heat of Yatsu lettuce play. Yatsu lettuce play is also an interesting discussion what, what temperature that would be. There's a range in, in halacha. We try to go with the, the, the stringent range, which in this case, stricter Yatsu lettuce play would be about 180 degrees. 
but most heating elements are going to give off temperatures in excess of that, and you can't even touch them because it will burn. It's, it's an actual heating rod. It's like, it's like fire, in a sense, in essence. Okay, now I want to talk about some, some products that we have on, in, the, in the manufacturing world uh, and, and talk about how we actually address them with regards to Pasiastrol. Breadcrumbs, we'll start with breadcrumbs. They're a, it's a commonly used ingredient in the food manufacturing world. Um, there are a few ways to make breadcrumbs. Many times, most of the time, breadcrumbs are made from, from ready-made bread and then further baked and, and then ground, ground up into to breadcrumbs. Um, but the, in that itself, there's two different processes. In one case, they'll bake them as regular bread to sell as bread, and they'll only take the used bread, the unsold bread, turn that into breadcrumbs. In such a case, you couldn't give a hechsher on the, on the breadcrumbs because the unused bread gets sold off to consumers and gets returned. So once it's, it's going to a consumer's hands, we don't know the cautious of it is. So in such a case, you couldn't give a hechsher to the breadcrumbs. You have to watch out for returns. But if it's a company that bakes bread for the sake of making breadcrumbs, not just as a secondary usage, when they have extra product, um, then you could give the hechsher if that's the primary usage. They bake the bread to turn into breadcrumbs and they just basically toast it and they grind up the breadcrumbs. Um, that, that product would need to be pastisrol because it's made as bread. Um, but depending on how it's used, if a breadcrumb is being used as a filler, for example, if you buy a tuna salad, uh, tuna is an expensive commodity. So they'll have tuna salad, they'll have tuna fish, they'll have mayonnaise and some, uh, some other ingredients, maybe some sugar, some salt, some spices, and they'll often put in breadcrumbs as a filler. Sometimes breadcrumbs can go in as a filler of up to like 7% into the product, and they're cheap. It's a cheap filler. It gives some body to the product, especially when you're dealing with a fish product. So in halacha, non-pasisro bread would be batal b'roiv. Is batal is nullified in the majority, according to most opinions. And in this case, it wouldn't be something you would see because it gets totally liquefied with all the, the mayonnaise, et cetera, and, and the like. Now, um, if you have a non-Jewish manufacturer who's making salad, um, they certainly can use non-pasisol breadcrumbs in such an application. If someone wants to be machber, not to eat the salad, they could be machber, but, but halakhically in that case, the breadcrumbs would be bottled, would be nullified because they're no longer discernible and they're going in at percentages way less than half, at about 7% of a formula. On the other hand, you can use breadcrumbs as a topping like in a case of schnitzel, for example, there the breadcrumbs still are going to be discerning. You can still see them. They're either used in schnitzel or they could be used as a, as a, as a, as a topping for, for like a breaded fish, like a fish sticks or, or just any breaded fish. There, those would have to be pasiusrol. Um, you can't say they're really bottled because they're still discernible and you can see them the way they are. And uh, if you're mocked on pasiusrol, which we also see them are, then in that case, you would want to make sure that the, those breadcrumbs are pasiusrol. In practice, all national exchange certified products are non-pasiusrol also. So one has to verify that the breadcrumbs in any particular product are pasiusrol. Can't assume so. You have to ask. So, so especially in the situation where they're being used as a topping, that's where somebody would want to find out if it's pasiusrol or not. There's a, there's a new modern manufacturing process of breadcrumbs, which are called panko breadcrumbs that creates a whole new dynamic, which we didn't have until the last few years. It's a recent, pretty much a recent invention, as far as I know. And in that itself, there's two subcategories. There's panko style breadcrumbs, which essentially are regular breadcrumbs and have to be pasisrol, just like a regular breadcrumb would have to be. 
And then there's actual real panko breadcrumbs, which are baked in a, in a process that's different than regular bread. So there you get into a discussion where some, where most, in this case, I should say, most national hachshedim are leaned and say that real panko breadcrumbs do not have to be possessed due to the way they're processed. And essentially they're electrocuted by, by running them through electric current. Um, and that's how they actually make the, uh, the breadcrumb, the panko breadcrumb. So it's not going through a traditional baking process. We find this, this kind of concept in, in halacha that, uh, for example, it says that pasanefa bachama, bread baked by the sun would not be a problem of paspalta or bread baked by a non-Jew. So if it's an unusual type of baking process, something that the chacham, the rabbi, did not include in their original prohibition, then that would qualify as an exemption, according to, uh, according to many people. In addition, um, is another factor over here, the fact that the breadcrumb is then used as an ingredient. You don't eat it by itself. The panko breadcrumbs are then used as a topping and are further cooked. So there's a halacha that there is bishel after afia since the breadcrumbs are baked and then they're getting cooked. Now, we wouldn't say that on, on a regular breadcrumb, but because the panko breadcrumb by itself is going through an electrocution process, so another little additional uh, benefit, you can say, I guess, is because the fact that it's going to get cooked later as well. So in practice, to the best of my knowledge, all national Akshayim allow real style, real panko breadcrumbs to be exempt from Pas Yisrael, but they do verify, um, they should verify to make sure that they really are genuine panko breadcrumbs and not just panko style breadcrumbs, because panko style breadcrumbs are like regular breadcrumbs and would need to be Pas Yisrael. Okay, let's discuss a little bit about uh, gluten-free products. Um, gluten-free products, if they don't contain any oat flour, would not be in the category of pas because they don't have any of the five grains. The issue is that oat flour that's, that's gluten-free could qualify as gluten-free and would be part of the five grains. So just because something is certified as gluten-free, for example, you pick up a gluten-free muffin or a cookie, it doesn't mean it's exempt from pas yisrael. The simple thing you need to do is just look at the ingredient list and see if there's any oat flour listed into the product. If there's oat flour in the product, then it would be in the category of pas. And if there would be a bracha mezainus, as long as the oat flour is playing a primary role, uh, which it usually is. Um, if, it's, if there's no oat flour present in the ingredient panel, then it's just uh, gluten-free with other types of flours, whether it's cassava flour or, or uh, rice flour or bean flour, what have you, then it would be a bracha shahakal and it wouldn't be in the category of pas. With regards to granola bars, it's an interesting discussion because a granola bar is, um, in such a product, you can see the whole oats. Um, so um, I discussed this Shiloh with one of the Paskim, one of the halakhic authorities that we, we, we consult with, and I was told that if you can see the whole oats, then it's not considered pas. So in the case of granola bar, it wouldn't be a, a situation of pas. In practice, the way granola bars are made, from what I've seen, doesn't mean they're all made this way, from what I've seen is that they take uh, a consistency of about 66% dry ingredients that would include the oats and um, maybe the sugar and some other ingredients that go into it. And then we'll have about 33% of liquid ingredients that could be your, your malt syrup. And um, they cook up the syrup and they pour it over the dry ingredients to create a paste. So the, the granola is kind of prepared through an era of a clearisha, you know, like pouring of a hot liquid from a, from a, a, a clearation vessel. And then it just gets toasted later on um, and formed into a granola bar. That's how some granola is made. 
Um, anyway, so if you, if you see the whole oats, and it wouldn't be in the category of pas. Uh, but something, for, for example, like a fig bar, where it looks like a doughy substance and you can no longer see any whole oats, which is all you're seeing is a, is a dough. If the oats are not discernible, I was told by the rub, then it would be in the category of pas, and it would have to be pas throw. With regards to ice cream cones, there's an interesting discussion about it because uh, there are different types of ice cream cones. Um, in Kufya Bays, the Shach brings down um, that the, the, the definition, according to the Shach, not everyone agrees with this, but according to the Shach, the definition of something that has to be pasisol, it has to be something that's made from a bulila ova, a thick batter. Um, and if it's made from a liquid batter, it would not be in the category of pas. Um, ice cream cones can be made either way. A, a regular ice cream cone is made from a liquid batter. It's a very thin type of consistency. Um, but a sugar ice cream cone, which is thicker, um, can be made from a thick batter. So th there you would have an, what's called an afkamina and halacha, an actual difference. According to the shach, a thick ice cream cone, a sugar ice cream cone would be in the category of pas. And according to uh, but, but the thin ice cream cone, the ones that are not sugar, that they're very thin, they would not be in the category of pas. Other opinions are machmer, even with regards to lila rako, a thin ice cream cone. Um, also with regards to the pretzels that are very, very small, that don't have the, the, the appearance of bread. Um, but the payo chassidim try to be machmer on these things whenever possible. With regards to breakfast cereals, it's an interesting discussion in and of itself because breakfast cereals are, are manufactured in a, um, in a methodology that's, that's different than uh, a traditional baking process. So it gets into a whole discussion in and of itself. So first of all, with regards to breakfast cereals, we want to break it up and, and, and divide it into two, two different categories. You have some cereals that are made from the five grains, for example, Cheerios. Um, it's made from the five grains. So it would be a question of whether it has to be past Yisrael. Then you have cereals that are not made from the five grains. The question would be if they have to be visual Yisrael. So with regards to cereals that are made from the five grains, um, they're not, for the most part, they're not baked in a traditional baking process. Traditional baking process in Allah would be defined as baked into an oven or even something that would be roasted or, or baked and the like. Um, the way they make breakfast cereals is they have modern day machinery, new machinery that they didn't have at the time of, of Chazal. The rabbis made this prohibition. And it's it's a, just an unusual type of process. And it's again, similar to that, that halacha of bread mm -hmm. that's baked by the sun. There's an interesting truth from Ramayisha Feinstein about bread that's baked or food that's cooked on a radiator. It's also not a traditional form of cooking. It wouldn't be a problem of, of Bishalakim or Pasakim in that case. So with regards to cereal and practice, how are they made? They're made um, in usually one of the following three or four processes. They could either be puffed or they could be extruded. The way in which they make a shape of a particular cereal, um, the way they get, for example, in the case of Cheerios, how do they get all the Cheerios to look exactly the same size, that circle? They, they, they run it through what's called an extruder, which is a, a process that takes a, a, uh, a dough consistency, runs it through a very, very small hole that's also very hot. It heats it up and it cooks it and bakes it that way. And then afterwards, it just, they just have to shape it to, this, to the shape of the Cheerio, but probably by turning it through, through various machines or they probably massage the actual log into that shape. And that's how they get the Cheerio. So that's a process that's not a traditional baking process. Um, as I said earlier, they, have, they can have extruded, they can have puffed, or you can have, um, sometimes they're just, they're just toasted um, or they're steamed. If they're 
esteemed also, you're gonna, we're gonna get into, so Shema, when I get to speak about Bishel, also there's room for, for leniency with regards to that as well, because um, there's an, there's a machlekes whether or not the chacham asked steam. So for these reasons, what that reason, breakfast cereals are halachically one definitely has has a basis to say they don't have to be pasiyisrael. Some people want to be stringent and make them pasiyisrael as an added stringency. That's that's very nice. That's fine, but it's not something that's required with regards to, um, to toasting ready-made bread. We'll get into that discussion. Um, whether or not that's going to qualify for Pas Yisrael. So there's a Shulchan at the end of Kofi Beis does bring down if you take bread that was, and you take it out and you put it back into the oven, if it's Mashbiach Begofa Fiyosei, you're going to be able to make the bread better. Um, you can still make it Pas Yisrael. How that's defined, it's brought down in the Naisi Kalim and in the commentaries, that it has to be Mashbiach Begofa Fiyosei, that has to be something that the Tzorah Kumar Fiyosei is going to make it that it wasn't yet ready to eat before you baked it off and then put it back in the oven. It means to say that if I take a fully ready bread, let's say I buy a rye bread in the store, and it wasn't past Yisrael, and I put it into a toaster and I made it crispy, I didn't make it ready now. I just changed it from being a soft, ready bread to a crispy bread, but I didn't actually make it ready. So it's, it's really hard to say that that would make it past Yisrael. What, on the other hand, if you buy something that's a little bit underbaked, you can buy breads that are what's called par-baked. Par-baked, you can buy them, you can buy rolls and breads, and, that, and, and par-baked could mean that they're baked like 85%, and they just need another, let's say, eight minutes in the oven. But they're still not ready to serve. You wouldn't serve them to guests. Then if a year turns on the fire and, and finishes off the baking, they would make it past your stroll by finishing off the baking in that, in that situation. It's, it's better to turn on the fire for Pasi Yisrael in the beginning of the baking process, but halakhically, as long as the product is not yet ready to eat, a Jew can be mashpiach, can still actually affect the bread and make it Pasi Yisrael by, by turning on the fire. So in practice, something that's baked 85 or even 90%, but still underbaked, then it could still be made Pasi Yisrael by the Jew turning on the fire. Another just a little hint, a helpful hint would be, if you look at breads, let's say, for example, I'm buying a roll or buying a, um, a sub, and uh, the ones that are underbaked, they're only par-baked, they're like 85, 90%, they typically have a whiter complexion than a fully baked product that looks more golden. So the whitest complexion is just in indicative of the fact that it's not yet fully baked in many cases, not in all cases, but just want, thought I'd, I'd share that. Um, and also um, a larger bread, would uh, you know take some more time to bake off, but typically something that's going to need more than six minutes in the oven to become ready, especially when you're dealing with rolls, is definitely enough time to make it past your soil. If it's a larger bread, maybe it needs to be more like eight or ten minutes in the oven to be baked. But but something that's underbaked would, would, would qualify to make it as past your soil in that case. Now another thing I want to mention is that some people that are in situations where they cannot get Pasisrol available because they live in outlying areas. So they may, it's possible that they halachically they're being lenient and they're, they're eating non pasisrol products. And halachically they're allowed to, even though we as Hasidim are stringent about it. So in such cases, what Rabbanim have advised such people to do is to toast the bread because in, in halacha we have a concept known as mitzamik fiyafaloi, just like, for example, on ch the chon on Shabbos. The chon could be ready to eat at one o'clock, but if you leave it on the you know, you, you return it carefully according to the halachic requirements back into the into the cholent pot, 
um, for another three hours, it's going to become, it's going to be even more like caramelized and it's going to taste better. It's called mestamic viafale. The longer it cooks, it, it's even better. So in a similar sense, you could take a bread that's ready to eat, but if you toast, it's going to taste better. So there's such a concept known in halacha. We don't actually pass it to say that's, that that's enough to make it pass Yisrael. But if someone's in a situation where they have to consume non-pas Yisrael, so to make it a little bit better, we advise them to toast the bread. When it comes to these halachas, how we define whether or not um, something would would require would be considered ready to eat or not, we look after what's considered by the masses. So a good a good benchmark and a good guideline would be something that you would serve to your guests. If it's not ready uh, to eat, you wouldn't serve it to your guests. But if it's ready to eat, you would serve it to your guests. Then uh, it's considered to be fully baked. Okay, Rabbi Kessman, can we open up the floor for some questions? All right, yes. Yes, Rabbi Hanoka. I feel like you just condensed like 30 years of knowledge into, I feel like I should open up a cashless organization. <laughs> Take everything I heard and anyways, I'm just joking. Um, if anybody has any questions, some people did private message me some, so I'll ask, but I'm happy to turn it over. If you, if you have a question, just, un, just uh, unmute yourself and ask. I have lots. Go for it. Menachem, go for hi. it. Yeah, hi. Okay, first of all, uh, thank you very much. You made reference, you said there's a, a few times in a few different ways, you said it's the highest level of Pas Yisrael. And then you even, most recently that you said in the beginning, you said that it's better for the Yid to start the process. Where do you see in Shulchan Aruch as levels of Pas Yisrael? Like how, oh. where can you point, like how, how, do, how does one see that? Because when I'm going through the simon, right. I, I was, I struggled to find such a thing. No, it's an excellent question. It, it's, it's, a, it's a, I appreciate the question. First of all, it says, it does say in Shulchan Aruch that um, to be misak in the past, it's better to be done the first third of the baking process. That says clearly. With regards to the other thing where I spoke about levels, in the case of the telephone dial-up system, it doesn't say that in Shulchan Aruch, because such a thing didn't exist in the times of Chazal, but I can show you the basis of why I said that. Because if you look at the reason why a Jew's involvement helps, according to the, one, one of the opinions in Rishonim is that there should be a hacker that, that a Jew's involved in the baking process. So when a Jew is turning on the oven through a, a telephone dial-up system far away, so it is a chesaron in the hacker. The hacker is not as blatant, not as clear. But because, as I said, because it's being done in a factory setting and, and for all these reasons, it's, it's considered allowed but in terms of hither in the well in the, in the realm of no, hither, sorry, it, sorry, maybe my question wasn't clear enough. That's that was in the manufacturing aspect, but at the end of it, you spoke about when a yid takes and gets involved in the actual bread baking partway through the process. Right. So, so there, there it does say in Shulchan Aruch that that uh, it's more, it's better to to uh, light the fire within the first third. Of the bake before the, the bread is baked one third, it's better to be stuck in the past then. But you can still do it later if necessary. Yeah, but so I'm sorry, We're in not in the simon though. Is it somewhere else? No, I have to find. that I'll, I'll send Rabbi Kessman the source. I don't I don't have it on me. It does say it. Sure. And then sorry, and then on. And by the way, by the way, I just want to point out, and that's when I set up a pasuyisrael system in an, in, a, in an oven, I try my best to set it up in the chamber that's the first. Third of the baking process, if I could. Sometimes I can't, I won't do it, but 
if I could, I try to add a hither if possible. Okay, I just uh, on that same topic, and then obviously I have a bunch of other questions, but I don't want to take if some other one other one wants to ask first. But you refer to a concept of mitzvah which as we know is a concept by Shabbos. Is there such a concept by Kashris? I'm not saying there's not. It's a question. I, or are no, you I, just using it as an example? I'm using I'm using it as a, as a way. In other words, when you ask a Shalom by a Rav, right? So, so it's clear, pretty clear in Shulchan Aruch that to make something pass Yisrael, it has to be you have to be mashpiach begufa pass. You have to actually make a a real effect in the bread, something that wasn't there before. So, if the bread is fully baked, then you didn't, and now you're toasting it, you're not really making you're not making a, a really uh, significant change because it was ready now it's just more of a, a preference issue i like toasted bread i don't like toasted bread but because we're borrowing from the concept of the we see that there is value in making something taste a little bit better a little bit like more uh, well done so that's why we advise somebody who's in a situation where they're not going to have pasi throw to do that to toast it so they can at least borrow from that concept that make their situation better we're not going to pass them to make it pass Yisrael. See what I'm saying? But we always look to try and just like in just like in Allah, you try to be mad to the chilo. If you, it's a situation of pikuach nefesh, it's a situation where a person is, not, is, is doing something that's not ideal. You try to make it as ideal as possible, and it's more ideal to toast it if, if, if you're not having pass Yisrael already. Okay, so then sorry, then and after this, I, I'll... I'm giving you an idea, just giving the audience a, a perspective of how we think. How we define things, how we look. I, at things. I appreciate. So then, on that on that note, I don't know if you have a shulchan aruch in front of you, but in kufyud bays sif yud, how how do you explain what's happening? Because it doesn't fit into what we spoke about tonight. According to the Mechaber, if the oven is not lit by, by a, a yid, and then bed, bread is baked in that oven, right? The straight Mechaber, I'm saying, you can put, you can bake bread the third time. In your mind, what is that? What's that bread's status? And it applies to the Ramaz common too, but the Ramaz is even more makel. He says, Ace, Ace. I think Rabbi Hanukkah said. Oh, he's saying, I'm sorry. You want to say something, Rabbi Kessman? Yes, with regard, I mean, I, I apologize just for, uh, for jumping in, but it's with regard to the fact that there's heat that still remains. If I, the right. dark, on that halacha, the dark Shuva writes that the reason why the Mechaber says it has to be lit twice and then on the third time it's okay. It's because the assumption is that after lighting it two times, the third time there will still be heat that will There's remain. lingering heat, exactly. And, and yes, lingering heat. But it says Kama Yom, that indicates that as many days later when the heat dissipates, it's not going to be good. Okay, anybody else? To, uh... um, yeah, I have a question. Um, first of all, thank you so much for the entire year, Rabbi. Um, I just started um, going through the section of, of Machali Akum, so a lot of the concepts I'm still like new to, but I'm just, I'm trying to understand um, 
I think based on, based on, I guess, like hearing this and like what I know from like Halavi Sral and stuff, that with Pasi Sral, we're more concerned about the concept of the, the, the first concern of the Chachamim, which is because of intermarriage when it comes to things like Halavi Sral and, and ambitiously Sral, it's more, there's also, I guess, a bigger concern of the, of there being a lack uh, of the being a possibility of non-kosher products. Is that, is that, is that a correct assumption? Let me explain. Um, the the primary, the, the foundation as to why the Chachamim made the laws of Pas Yisrael and Bishra Yisrael, the reasons for the laws are the same. They're mm-hmm. a, a, a protective measure against intermarriage. And the secondary reason, as I said, is Shemi Yachalem, maybe we're going to put non-kosher into the mix. The details mm-hmm. of what's prohibited by Pas in this case, five, anything from five grains. And what's prohibited by Bishel are different because there's a different structure to them. But they're all, they're all, the above banner reason for them are the same. With regards to Chol of Yisrael, as we'll get to later, it's it's even it's even deeper because there the concern is that maybe there'll be Chol mixed in directly. So it's more right. of an immediate concern. It's a strong, stricter mm-hmm. kind of concern. Right. So I, I guess my, my question was trying to see, I know that meaning a lot by Chabad, it's very common to see that 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 Chalvisal, like things are not Chalvisal, are considered like Suffolk trape, and therefore if if Kaylee's not Chalvisal, um, it's a lot of people won't won't use it as um, as a Kaylee to cook with. My question would be, does does the same thing apply to Pas Israel? That so we- me, right. So that's, that's an excellent question. The answer is no. That non-Pas Israel products do not make the vessels not kosher. So you can make products past Yisrael easily by just turning on the fire, as long as it's kosher private equipment. By mm-hmm. Bishli Yisrael, we're gonna learn there's, there's a machlekas about it. We, we follow the opinion that says that it does make the vessels not kosher under ordinary circumstances, machlekas, but what, stam, we do follow the, that opinion. By Chol Yisrael, everyone agrees that, that now Chol Yisrael makes the kelim asr. So it's, the, the style of Shulchan is going on Akal Akav. It's going from the lenient Halachis to the most stringent Halachis in that order. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Sure. Any other questions? Yeah, Rabbi, just from a, a like curious as to the, if the OK, for example, is certifying a, a, a factory that makes pretzels, is there a reason that that company wouldn't just go past Israel period, or that, that they just want to be stam like kosher versus being past Israel? Is it a, a cost? Is it something that, like just curious in terms of why wouldn't if there's no real quote unquote difference? Right, I appreciate uh, the question. Uh, the cost of, of setting up past Israel is very minimal. It's uh, you have to buy the element and have a mechanic install it. Most of these companies have their own mechanics on staff, so the cost is a few hundred dollars. It's, it's really negligible. But some companies will shy away from doing it because they don't want to be tied down to not being able to uh, shut down everything by maintenance. That could be an issue for them. And some of them uh, don't see the value in it. And some of them don't like the idea of putting a foreign element into their ovens. Ovens are very expensive pieces of machinery. And to retrofit something into an oven could scare them. Now, it's obviously, if it's done right, it's nothing to worry about. But it's something that it's, it's introducing a new concept to them. Right. And I assume like also, I don't know if it's, it's uh, applies, but I assume that a lot of these companies are running through Shabbos also. If they're cooking something through Shabbos, I, I assume it wouldn't 
wouldn't be able to be considered pastoral? Is that like an incorrect? Assumption? No, they they do run these factories do run a lot of them will run twenty four seven. Um, if the yid lit the fire beforehand, it keeps going. It would still be pastoral over Shabbos. Then you get into another discussion whether or not the, Jew, the factory is Jewish owned. If the factory is not Jewish owned, there's no problem whatsoever. If it's mm-hmm. Jewish owned. By the time that pretzel is going to reach the consumer, it's going to be bechdei so it's going to be well beyond the time it takes to make it. So it's permissible to consume. Um, so that would okay. okay. I have a question, Rabbi. Um, if we said that the this concept of pasisroel in certain, it's a uh, how is it possible? I don't know if the OK does it. I'm just saying other ashgachot, which I there is products that need to be pasisroel and they have ashgaha. What's the base? For giving an ashgoche to say that this product is kosher and it's pasisroel, it should be pasisroel, but it's not pasisroel. So why is it kosher? That's my question. So right. So the answer is that Shulchan Aruch says brought down in the Gemara in, in Avodah Zara, brought down Allah in the beginning of Kuvi Beis also that because um, when they made the prohibition of pasakum, it wasn't something accepted by all the communities together. So it never took on the strength of halacha of law. So if you're in a situation where you cannot get pasisroel easily available. Pas palter, bread baked by a non-Jewish baker, um, is permissible. But Ramah even brings down that in, in certain unusual circumstances, even pas palavais is mutter in certain unique circumstances. So it's permissible to give a hechsher on pas palter um, on that basis. Obviously, pas Yisrael is still better if you can, you know, but it's permissible to give a hechsher that way. Got you. So in, uh, this is a general question in Ashgahot. So basically, we see that in the Ashgahot, basically take certain different opinions for different things. So they don't follow like a line. That's, that's, that's how Well, works. no, they do. Let me explain that further. Um, because all national hashgachas, they're certifying product for the, for the masses, for the entire world. They have an obligation to provide product. That You can even argue that they have an obligation to certify product when they can. A chesidah is really certifying products for a targeted market. And they will not certify product that's not pas Yisrael, they're not chol Yisrael as a policy, because they're, they're certifying products specifically for a targeted market. So the focus of a national hashgacha, international hashgacha is different than that of a chassidish hechsha. And their mandate, their, their, their purpose is different also. Got you. Thank you very much. Anybody else? Now, I, I just want to clarify, because someone, someone just messaged me. So. There is this principle that if the oven was lit by a Jew, then so long as it stays lit, anything that's baked in it will remain kosher. So assuming that is the case within these plants or massive bakeries, whatever they are, why is it necessary to have installed these elements that are being, why don't you just have the Jew turn it on, you know, whenever they, and then leave it running? Why does it need to be this whole system of, you know, like you said, retrofitting the ovens? Right. So the answer is that um, in some cases, the ovens do stay on all the time, but I would say that that's not the majority of the time. Most cases are not like that. So in very large tunnel ovens that have continuous baking processes, they never shut down. And even if they did shut down, they'd stay warm for two days. There you, yeah, Mashkir could light the oven, uh, can raise the fire and can comfortably come, come once a month and check on it. And it's gonna be past because they, they don't shut down, and even if they do, you, you have two days of protection there, you know, they could, you know the, the heat is going to stay on. Um, but that's only in a very, very heavily insulated tunnel type of oven. If you have a, a, uh, a walk-in oven, where it's a convection type oven, where it's forced air, 
There the heat would dissipate in 15 minutes when you open the door and there's no continuous fire. There you do have to retrofit them. So um, it's really a question of the, the, the Rav Machsher being able to make a determination. Can I safely assume, I don't like the word assume, I'd rather say, can I safely set up that the system is going to remain, there's going to be a fire there remaining all the time. So the way we look to define this in terms of when we set up a Hechsher is we look for a situation where there's no Nesimus Makhmet, they don't foresee any possibility for something to go wrong. I'm setting it up and it's, it's not, it's not going to shut down. Um, but usually that in order to get to that level, you're going to have to put in an element that's going to be hardwired and locked and all that to be able to get to that level. Or if there's a burning pilot, you can have that built in sometimes, but it's not a given. Got it, got it. All right. One, yes, one, last, question. Oh, sorry. Uh, sorry. one last question, sorry. Let's say that there is an oven, okay, that for some reason uh, to light it, to, to make it burn, uh, you need to light, for example, five fires, okay? Let's say that four of them were lighting by going and one were by a year. So basically the one-fifth of the heat is coming from the fire that the heat lit. That's considered a uh, pasisrol? Absolutely it is, because the fire is all if it all mixes together. In such a situation, it would be more mahudr that the Jew would light the first chamber of the baking. And by the way, that's how, tunnels, that's how tunnel ovens work. They have baking zones, zone one through five. The first zone would be, let's say, the first 10 feet of the oven. It's a 50 foot long oven, you know, et cetera. So it's better to light the first zone if possible. But yes, it, it's all one, one fire, it's all motive. All right, Yashukayach, thank you so much, Rabbi Hanoka. I'm already getting great feedback. Uh, my phone is lighting up. And um, thank you, everybody, for joining. And for everybody who's going to watch us later, who's in Australia or Singapore or South Africa, um, I hope you enjoy it. And uh, I, Rabbi Kassman, if I could just finish off with a word. What's beautiful, beautiful about this program, and many things are beautiful, but I, people are participating from all over the world. And when it comes to Kashrus, so Mashkiach goes to a factory. He could raise the fire on an oven and it's gonna create Pasi soil for people all over the country because the, the, uh, the distribution of that factory will be all over the country. So we see that this is really the, the embodiment and the fulfillment of the idea that a Jew, one positive action of a Jew can affect the entire world for the good, like the Ramam says. You see my the embodiment of that.